Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you may be. My name is Alfredo and you are tuned in now to the Climate Frontline podcast. At the Climate Frontline podcast, you have an opportunity to hear from leaders in different industries, movements, artists, and we have conversations that focus on those communities who are at the front line of climate change. And our community does this one conversation at a time. And so far, we have had a whole season's worth of conversations with roughly 20 leaders that I've gotten a chance to speak with here in Turtle Island, whether that's the United States, Canada, or, uh, yeah, I think that has been mostly it. I haven't had anyone from specifically speaking from Mexico on the show yet, but yeah, it's so nice to get the season back on. Welcome to the second season of the Climate Frontline podcast. And I hope you're having a wonderful day today. I just want to thank you for joining me in this conversation today. It is indeed a, a conversation that I think uh, I've been looking forward. And as I, as I head back into, into this show, I'm excited to connect with the community in this way because uh, of you all who, who listen in and tune in. It's always good to hear back what your thoughts are about each episode. So I'm just excited to get the conversation going again, right? Because it's a conversation. It's not just a one-way one way communication. And so I wanted to share that I really appreciated. I think it's it's good that we all spend some time to appreciate. And I've just appreciated the last couple of months. They have been important to me away from the show to just take care of my family and be present with them. Uh, I had a chance to be with them, learn how to cook different recipes with my mom, played lots of soccer with my dad, spent time with my siblings. We got a chance to explore some places, walk our dog, uh, both my siblings, just spending time with them and and seeing how much they've grown. I also had a chance to have some interesting conversations with my grandma about some of these issues actually and and how she understood my career to be. And yeah, I'm just grateful to have had the opportunity to spend time with my family and really reset myself. And now that I have a full set of batteries, if you will, I'm just excited to get back here. But I think gratitude, right? It's so important to be grateful for what you have today. And today maybe it may be that today you had a hard day or maybe you had a hard week and you're now tuning into the to the podcast and it may seem hard for you to to come up with something good for this week that you're having and i'm just here to remind you just remember that you're able to listen to this podcast which means that you have that access to capital to electricity i would say that you should be thankful for it right so you let me know what you're thankful for and what you're grateful for and whether you tweet that or send me a private message, I would love to know what you're grateful for today. Now, as we expand the bubble from MySpace here into more of the United States, there have been so many things that have taken place, right? Since I stopped producing these episodes, everything from the coup that took place in Washington, D.C., 
all the way to the continuous struggles of natives people, indigenous people, BIPOC communities, the climate frontline communities across the world, really. And for me, these things are taking place. They're taking place and it really is what motivates me to come back to this show and make space for our conversations, make space for maybe voices that are absent, right? And I really try to do a good job at bringing different perspectives and those voices that uh, are often left out of the climate narrative. And it's a difficult task. I, I acknowledge that. And, uh, but I'm here and I'm committed to continuing to do that because I think the stories have to be told and it has to be told from the narrative, be, be told from, from them, from those voices. And the narrative has to be built from those from those perspectives, those lived experiences. And that's how these conversations are going to change the climate narrative. So after some reflection today in this episode, I'm excited to share five lessons that I have learned from this first season with you. And I think these five lessons are going to be valuable for anyone who's listening in, whether you have been listening in or you're new to the podcast. I just want to welcome you. I think these five lessons are going to be great takeaways if you're in the process or already in a space of uh, engaging communities on the topics of sustainability and environmental justice, right? And I think they will help you and perhaps be a little bit more prepared in terms of how is it that we engage people in a way that brings them along in their full selves brings you along in your full self. And yeah, I'm just really excited to share these five lessons that I've taken away from my conversations with these different community leaders, activists, artists across Turtle Island. And for those of you, you who don't know what Turtle Island is, Turtle Island is this place we often refer to as modern day America, right? Or Canada, United States, parts of Mexico. And these leaders that I've interviewed are part of different industries, movements, and artists across Turtle Island. And I'm just so thankful to have had the opportunity to speak with them. So today, yeah, I want to get go ahead and get started to share, you know, these, these five lessons. And I'm going to quickly list them off. One is around that there is no silver bullet in all this. So that's number five, actually. Number four is that climate change is a Western concept, and it's important to understand that as we engage folks. And the third one being that there's a distinction between education and building awareness. And I'll dive more into that. And the second one is really that um, I had a realization that in order to change the climate narrative, that it wasn't only one narrative we had to change. It's several narratives that we need to change. It's understanding the struggles of all the people. And the last one I'll save at the end. It will be uh, a surprise because I think this one was a, a big one for me. And it's around language, which is uh, main focus of the show. So that's what I got for you today. We're going to dive into these five, uh, these five takeaways or lessons, the five lessons that uh, that I learned from engaging community leaders on the topics of climate change 
and environmental justice. So before diving into these, I just wanted to share also how I arrived at these, right? Now, obviously, like other podcasts uh, that just started off, I got a chance to interview friends and people that I know. And while these individuals are amazing people who I either worked with or collaborated on topics of sustainability and environmental justice, I, I am aware that they are nonetheless people within my circle, right? And I think it's important to acknowledge that. On the other hand, there were a handful of folks who were new to me, people who are doing amazing work that I just had never met. And these interactions were different because I needed to build a relationship with them, find common language, and understand what kind of landscape they were navigating in, in the places where they live. So when I shared these following five lessons, I shared them from a place of love and I shared them after much reflection. I shared them because these were the things I started to become uh, mindful of before diving into any conversation. I guess another way to put it is the when I started before as I prepared myself into going to these conversations, these were the five things that uh, the the five the five mental models that were in the back of my head. And it, after some reflection, I think I was able to put these down in paper and put together this episode. So I believe that if you keep these in mind, you will have a um, you will be a little bit more prepared as you engage other diverse audiences on the topics of sustainability and environmental justice. So there's my preface to that. And we're going to go ahead and get started with number five. And number five is there is no silver bullet, right? And it, it's funny to for me to say this too, because it's a term that I think was not in my vocabulary to say, oh, that's a silver bullet. I think it's something that I've gathered from spaces where people who, who yeah, they use this lexicon to, to make others aware that there is no one solution to the system of problems of climate change, right? Because even climate change is a range of problems, everything from our relationship with Mother Earth and each other, mental healthness, drug addiction, food access, education, uh, the list can go on and on, right? So to dive a little bit deeper into there is no silver bullet is that when I came to listen and, and reflect on these conversations I've had, it was exactly that. It was never, hey, education solved all our problems. It was never a grant gave us the opportunity to address all of the issues in this community. It was not, oh, uh, engaging with this specific community or focusing on this specific policy or even, you know, making people aware of this issue specifically was the pivotal point where all of a sudden a problem that existed in the community, our, our community struggles were solved. So I want to make sure that I'm being clear here when I say that there, there is no silver bullet in the sense that our communities are diverse. We relate to each other to land differently and our relationships are differently, are different. So to me, 
when we think of solutions, when we think of opportunities where we can heal ourselves, where we can come up with new ideas or restructure programs, restructure policy or any of these initiatives, we really got to be thinking in in systems. We got to be thinking outside our our own personal perspective and we got to be making sure that we know and the outcomes show that there is going to be no one answer to these problems. So I think for folks who may be listening in and, and know my work and the approaches that I like to use, as well as other community members, other elders and leaders, this makes complete sense. But for someone new, I think it's important for you to know that there is no solar bullet in this work. Moving on to number four, climate change is a Western concept. When listening to, to the folks that have come into the show, it's something that I really struggled with internally, simply because I went through academia, right? I went through the process of, or I went through the process of obtaining a degree in environmental science. And so that's how I'm a product of that system. And so I was always told about the curve of carbon emissions that uh, came from Hawaii, right? I was told about the methane, isoprene. I went to do research on the, on these effects, on water hydration, water quality, on invasive species. Some of my favorite professors from that academic process uh, spoke climate change language like, like it was their native tongue. And I think I share this to say that each time I was having a conversation with a leader, this was something that came up because they were not talking about climate change, right? They did not use specifically the term climate change. They knew what it was. They could relate to it. They could talk about wildfires they can talk about lack of food, lack of shelter. They can talk about mental healthness. But the communities at the front line are not necessarily going to say that, you know, climate change is it. They're experiencing it differently. And I think the speakers that the community members that are part of, uh, of the folks who, who come in, came in into this show as guests really show that as I listened to episodes and just reflected on those. So yeah, I'm curious to know if that is something that you struggle with. I think, you know, um, climate change is happening in my hometown. It's happening right outside your local neighborhood, but it's also something that is true and understood for some people. It's manifested and is expressed in other ways for others. And I think you should be mindful of that as you consider your strategy or your mindfulness as you engage diverse communities and diverse audiences on the topics of sustainability and environmental justice, because it may not be climate change that you're referred to. It may be something else. So we have, there is no silver bullet and that climate change is a Western concept. 
And now we're going to dive into the next three. But before I do that, I received some amazing feedback from folks and I'm introducing a new segment to, to the show. Uh, I think it'll be called story time. If you have a better idea of what to call it, then by all means share with me. But uh, the gift that was shared with me from different folks is that to give uh, a little bit of a break. So we're going to enter into the new segment, Story Time. During my time in community college here in Turtle Island, I had the opportunity to lead a tour of uh, a museum as well as the nature area surrounding the community college. And I would have students from fifth grade all the way to high schoolers visit and, you know, I would give them an overview of the different fossils, types of plants that were found within the museum and then it was followed by a walk around the nature areas and it was honestly one of my favorite experiences i was still figuring out what i wanted to study at the time taking random classes learning what studying is and how I, what worked for me what academia was so during this time i was happy to have an, an opportunity or something to do that was meaningful to me aside playing soccer, of course. It was during this time that I also became aware of history of the land that I was living in. Well, it was cool to see that all the different fossils, including some alien skeletons in the museum. Yeah, I said actual alien skeletons, but that's a different story. I was most captivated by what was outside in the nature area. When I first took... Uh, tour, I found out that there was a series of large rocks that had small holes in them, uh, some sort of cavements, if you will. And inside these holes, you were able to find really smooth rocks, like, you know, circular rocks. And, you know, I would describe them as uh, perfect for smashing some avocado. Uh, I think you get the idea. And so... When I came to find out about the Nisenan people, the natives people of the land that I live in, and how they were gatherers and how the, they used the rocks, which were found in the community college campus, to prepare the, their acorns. And I found out that when this site was found, there, the little rocks were still inside. Uh, I found that to be truly amazing. So the Nisenan peoples lived in the area just north of what is now modern-day Sacramento here in California. And as I close off this story, I would love to share a resource with you. A resource, I think, that uh, can help you figure out how you relate to land as well. There's a website, uh, nativeland.ca has uh, an interactive map where you can find out whose land you're living in. So I invite you to utilize this tool as a start of your awareness building journey 
of the land you live in. You can find the link to this website on the show notes. And yeah, I just wanted to share this story with you. If you have a story that you'd like to share, please, by all means, if you go to the voicemail tabs on www.climatefrontline.com, you can leave a voicemail and share your story with us. Okay, so now we are back to the top five lessons learned from engaging community members on climate change and environmental justice. And so far, we have covered two of them. The the first one is uh, that there is no silver bullet. The second one being that climate change is a Western concept. Now we're going to dive into the last three. And the third one, I think, is a really important one, and it's education and awareness building are different. And I think this is really important, not only because a lot of of the members mention it, but I think also because in the dominant culture, uh, professional experiences are valued more than lived experiences. And I just think it's so important to, to have a fresh look that because lived experiences may be wisdom, maybe language that's oral, it may not even be written. And that's the type of knowledge and, and guidance from from leaders that we need. So I wanted to share this lesson because many of the members that I have been able to interview had a distinct understanding of the role. And I think it's important to highlight that they saw themselves more as a facilitator to create awareness rather than bringing books to say that, you know, this, what you're doing is wrong or this is right per se. Some members went even as far as pointing out that education should actually take place the other way, in which a community member makes us aware of issues and quote unquote educates us, makes uh, public Officials aware makes environmental and sustainability practitioners aware. Obviously, with the focus of the show with youth, it seemed like youth in many instances were discussed as part of a bridge in that relationship or part of filling that gap of facilitating dialogue that creates this awareness, whether it's bridging the digital divide or understanding how systems may work. Other participants gifted us what I would call moments of reflection. They pushed us to question the extent to which academia or Western science by itself is a best tool to impact those communities who are at the front line, or let alone engage with them. So an important lesson to keep in mind is that when talking about sustainability initiatives, you may want to be mindful that knowledge is also found in non-traditional methods. And that is... The third lesson I got for you, education and awareness building are different. Diving into the second one, changing the narrative. So as you may know, when I set out to create this podcast, 
my intent is and continues to be that we need to change the narrative of how people understand the climate frontline communities and how they speak about it, who, who creates that narrative, right? And more importantly, focusing the microphone or focusing the stage to those communities who are at the front line because they should be leading the work. And through these conversations, what I found out is that this was a coalition building strategy or what I think some may call intersectionality. You see, changing the climate narrative for communities at the front line, for their voices, uh, to center their voices and self-interest so that they are prioritized also means changing the narrative on mental health. Changing the climate narrative for those communities at the front line of climate change also means changing the narrative of who gets a second chance due to their background or criminal record. Changing the climate narrative so that the communities at the front line are at the center also includes how we communicate with each other beyond written words or languages. And changing that narrative. Changing the narrative so that the communities at the front line are front and center also includes changing the narrative of who gets to lead environmental and conservation organizations. It includes changing the narrative on who gets healthy medicine or food and how we access it. Changing the narrative also includes how urgent taking climate action has become. So changing the climate narrative is a large and complex task, which is why we need a community and to be part of a coalition. This is why I came back to the show. And I came back to the show to send this message, right? Or at least to share this reflection with you. And it should be something you keep in the back of your mind as you go out and try to figure out what sustainability is and how you engage folks. So my takeaway there is that changing the climate narrative is changing a lot more than just the climate and re-understanding our relationships, re-understanding other issues that to perhaps uh, some uh, person out of the street may not necessarily be about climate change. Okay, so we've finally arrived to the number one lesson that I took away from engaging with these folks. So thank you for sticking around with me. And that last one is the language around carbon. And I think this became apparent from the beginning. And because I do have a background in community engagement, it was something that I had in the back of my mind, but it was highlighted or, or emphasized as I spoke to more people. Because I realized that as I sought to build this trust or find common language, I think I was able to do that by leaving our carbon. Now, I'm not saying that carbon is not important. I'm not trying to say there's a right way or wrong way of doing this. If you are a scientist that's listening to this and are working in some sort of carbon initiative, I'm not trying to play disrespect towards you. Again, I, I come from a place of love. I've had some reflections on the conversations that I've listened. And 
Carbon seems to be a moment in which you can quickly start speaking another language. You can talk about methane, you can talk about CFCs, you can, and I can understand that language because I've had that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a product of academia, right? So I know that language. But for the folks who are in the street, who are facing mental health issues, who may not have an opportunity to get that education, who are in the food deserts of the urban areas, those people may not necessarily click with you when you say carbon. They may not necessarily follow along when you start talking about carbon. And at the end of the day also, while yes, in Western science, carbon is a big piece of the puzzle, it's not like it's carbon that broke apart our relationship is or is the main component that broke apart our relationship between us and land. It's not like carbon is the main reason that's that we are broken in terms of our social structures, right? And the need to heal those social structures. So I wanted to emphasize that carbon is important and if folks are doing work in that space, please continue doing that work and elevating conscience in that way. If you're bringing people along who would otherwise not participate in these type of conversations by talking about carbon, by all means, continue doing that. Just be aware that when you're talking about sustainability initiatives or topics around environmental justice, climate change, that you may have to flex your language, right? And I think that has been a lesson throughout the beginning of, of this podcast is that Language is really important to how you engage, whether you build that trust, whether you build that relationship. So there they are, my five lessons to take away from engaging community leaders on the topics of sustainability and environmental justice. As we discussed, there is no silver bullet Climate change is a Western concept. Education and awareness building are different. And changing the narrative around the, the climate narrative around who is leading this work, how climate change is manifested in the lives of those people who are at the front line of climate change is tied to many other narratives. And lastly, Carbon may be a word that you may be mindful of as you seek to engage communities on the topics of sustainability and those themes that are related to, to sustainability as well. So that sums it up. If you enjoyed today's episode, I ask that you please share the podcast with a friend or perhaps you know someone who's leading a sustainability initiative and, you know, may not have the relationships or awareness to, to, to the journey, really, right, of engaging other communities that may not have had their same experience through education, non-traditional backgrounds, and all these other language terms that we can speak of to speak about the differences amongst us. And those differences are beautiful. We are such beautiful, amazing, diverse set of people humans are. And I hope that you appreciate that. Lastly, I want to take some time to thank my Patreons, Emily Cosmala and Ted Tripp for supporting me and continuing to produce this content. 
there have been some interesting co collaborations that have uh, come up as a result of this podcast. Uh, opportunities that, you know, I didn't anticipate. But yeah, I want to thank Emily and Ted. I really appreciate you for supporting me in that way. And, and creating content, not only to the Crime at Frontline podcast, but also through uh, my YouTube or other places. I'm producing now some content around these topics in Spanish as well. So I want to say thank you. I also want to say thank you to you, the listener who's listening right now, whether you're walking your dog or, you know, maybe doing the dishes, whatever it may be. I want to appreciate you for listening in to these conversations and also appreciate you for giving me some feedback about how the first season went and the areas of improvement. I consider those to be a big gift. And so from the bottom of my heart, I thank you. And that concludes the first episode of the second season at the Climate Frontline podcast. You can find the Climate Frontline podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms. Please visit us at www.climatefrontline.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter. And I am just super excited to get other folks to, to speak with you and start that dialogue with you. I am really excited for the folks that are going to be coming in. And I'm also excited to hear back from you about what you think of this episode, what your hopes and dreams are of the rest of the season. Before I forget, if you have recommendations of folks you'd like to see in the show, also send them to me. I'm also looking for artists who are producing music that are related to the movement that we're trying to create here and we are part of. So if you have suggestions of artists, whether that's visual or sound, or people that you want to bring into the show, please send that recommendation to climatefrontlinepodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you very much, and I will see you next time.